0: Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Brett Oliver, CMIO at Baptist Health. In this segment, Dr. Oliver talks about the priorities his team tackled during the early stages of the pandemic, how a crisis can bring out the best or worst qualities in individuals, and the enormous opportunity that IT and clinical teams have to become true partners working toward a common goal. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR. Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare See your whole patient. Visit HighlandHealthcare.com to learn more.
1: What would you say are some of the other really high priority issues that you're looking at?
2: Well, I think the challenges have been sort of direct challenges to this virus because it's a highly infectious disease. It's a unique mm-hmm. virus that we've not seen before. So we're trying to provide high volume, you know, be prepared for high volume, obviously high mm-hmm. quality, but then limit the exposure of those really key caregivers. I mean, everybody's important. However, if our critical care physicians are gone or the ED docs are all down, we're in a world of hurt. So we've done some things like we've got a bunch of primary care physicians that have volunteered to do hospitalist work or urgent care work. And where that comes to play for us and the technical side is making sure they've got access to whatever department they need that they don't currently have, as well as to, to work in the ED, that module is different than working in the ambulatory setting or the inpatient setting. And so getting them some training, some quick training so yeah. that they get called. We haven't fortunately had to do that yet, but to have that in reserve and called on. That's been big. We've had virtual screening set up for the ED physicians. So everybody that comes into the emergency department, to my understanding, at least at our bigger facilities, goes and gets screened outside of the ED. Broken arm, you might have COVID, they all get screened there. And that's done virtually. Okay. So the ED physician can see them. They could be at home, quite frankly, and they could be actually triaging more than one facility. But to kind of get that initial screen, say, okay, you that person potentially could have COVID. I want them isolated over here versus you've got a broken arm. Let's bring you on in and get you x-rayed. He's trying to limit exposure, limit the PPE. Gosh, a couple of weeks ago, the only testing we could get, it was taking us seven or eight days to get returned. So imagine oh, having you're in the hospital, you have pneumonia, you can be stable, but you're in the hospital and we've got to don and take off PPE every time we come in the room for seven, eight days. So the burn rate on yeah. that was incredibly high. Oh, so obviously getting better testing and faster turnaround time. But then if we can do things like, okay, the doctor's not going to go in after that initial assessment, one nurse is going to you know round on a couple of patients and help the doctors virtually. So we've got virtual care set up for all specialties, and we were actually rolled out um, on the inpatient side. So our initial focus was ambulatory because they got stopped in their tracks pretty quick a couple of weeks ago, just kind of executive government orders. And now inpatient-wise, we've had the critical care guys and the ED set up, and now we're opening that up more. So if you're a hospitalist or you're a nephrologist or cardiologist, you can do virtual visits with a patient through Epic, and Zoom's our platform there. Gosh, the repurposing of beds, that's been a big technical piece that's had our teams busy you know, okay, now we're gonna have a COVID unit here. We're gonna use an ambulance bay for overflow. Okay, well, what's that gonna be called? How do we get that in Epic so whoever's taking care of them know where they are and, you know, just that logistical aspect. We've got some great folks on our team that have just been working all the time and done a great job of getting all those beds that are, again, it could look the same to you and I walking past the room, but now that's a COVID bed or it's not and they get kind of uh, tabbed differently within the EHR. Okay. We're doing a cool thing with the convalescent (laughs) plasma. We've had a couple of our hospitals that have already been working with their local blood banks to take the plasma from folks that have gotten over COVID and use that, their antibodies to treat some severely ill folks, which is kind of an old technology, but we haven't had had to use it (laughs) in a while, but within our EHR now, we're building something so we can identify those that are potential donors, because they might not be in the hospital. They get diagnosed, they're positive, they get over it they could still be a donor for someone in the hospital. So trying to, I don't wanna say automate, but at least standardize that approach and make sure we're not missing anybody that can contribute. So that's been kind of a a neat kind of new thing. Gosh, I mean, we've got remote patient monitoring. That's kind of my focus this week besides the inpatient video visits is getting folks out of the hospital sooner than maybe we would like, but home with a continuous monitor or a monitor that's um, on them continuously, not just spot checking. So that's been kind of a focus I mean, it's, let me put it in perspective. I have a, a systems director for digital health that I've had since August and thank goodness we <laughs> had hired some. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we outlined in January an 18 month roadmap for where we would hope to be. And I, I thought it was a little aggressive, but you know, I'll rather be a little more aggressive and not get it than not reach for it. And I mean, we yeah. are so far through that 18 month roadmap in six weeks. I mean, just blew oh. it out of the water. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, that's been the silver lining, I suppose. I never would have wanted it to happen this way, but we've advanced, I'd say, three years you know, in our digital offerings, being just the whole organization focused on it.
1: Yeah, that's really amazing. I just think that we're going to look back at this time in absolute amazement of what organizations were able to do in such a short amount of time
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think because it's so widespread, that's another reason why we won't, we won't go back to sort of that status quo. There's just too many people that are offering, you know, it's not isolated. It's not, oh, that's Kaiser. They're so big. They can do that.
1: Yeah, Um, sure.
2: My wife works in a um, private, independent pediatric practice where we live, and they had to adapt and and figure out a a uh, telemedicine platform, and and they're doing it. They don't have an IT department. But I think at scale, everyone's doing it to some extent, or they're gonna die. It just—it's inevitable. I hope they don't yeah. die anyway. Unfortunately, <laughs> we'll see. Right,
1: right. Yeah. And had you been through any type of—I mean, obviously nothing on this scale—but you had—had had you been through any type of experience, whether it was um, something like Ebola or even like a natural disaster that kind of gave you some sense of, of what it's like to to uh, uh, lead through a crisis?
2: No, I haven't served in the military and certainly didn't have anything where we were with Ebola. We do have, we had some disaster recovery, business continuity kinds of plans that were underway. We weren't through yet, but that had helped a little bit. We actually had a company that produced sort of like a fake video for us that was a news report saying, you know, Baptist Health had this natural disaster happen or this disaster happened. Your whole system's down. How do you deliver care? And we've yeah. been working on that for the last year or so, and it's probably more of a three-year process. But that has helped, probably even going back to to residency when you're just used to these thirty-six hour shifts. I'm fifty-two, so yeah. some of these things that doesn't happen anymore. We were we were on for 36, 48 hours, and learning yeah, to yeah. Uh, to push through some of that fatigue. I tell you though, what's been interesting. And I don't mean to be melodramatic about it, but when you are seeing what's happening in other parts of the world and you're like, these mm-hmm. are my colleagues that I'm trying to support and set up things to allow them to see patients without being exposed, I haven't yeah. had a lot of need for extra caffeine or, you know what I mean? Uh, it's motivating in and of itself. And I see that with our teams and they really get that, you are you know, you're potentially saving lives here. And I know we're we're in healthcare, maybe you say that every day, but it's really felt like that. So... Anyway, no, I guess the answer is I hadn't been through something where I'm like, oh, yeah, we fell back on it just like when we invaded Afghanistan. We we did the same thing, but some of the activities that we had. But, you know, I I will tell you, I was commenting to somebody this morning on a call we had on this remote patient monitoring piece that we're doing. You see kind of it's at the core of folks when you have these crises. You know, you see the folks, you kind of look at things one or two ways. Either I'll tell you how this is not going to work or the other side of it is, we'll figure out a way to get this done. And it's yeah. amazing how polarizing stuff like this is. I'm almost making mental notes. I haven't gone to writing down names yet, but mental notes of yeah. like, wow. <laughs> and not for vengeance, but just to say, I know who to reach out to when I've got something creative and I need a little help thinking through this. Versus yeah. no, every time this was mentioned, this team member was just like, well, I'll tell you why this isn't gonna work. That's been an interesting uh, insight through all this.
1: Sure, and as somebody who who is a physician, I can imagine, like you said, these are your colleagues who are are on the front lines, and it must just be such an interesting thing to watch. I mean, I'm near New York, not that close, luckily, but to see what physicians are doing, what nurses are doing, and it must be nice in some ways just to finally really see that recognition by people of, of what healthcare professionals go through, even when it's not a major situation.
2: Yeah, it has been. I think... The stereotype that you know doctors make a ton of money. and They don't care about people, and and I'm sure those people exist. But to have it be reminded of the debt that we incur to get where we are. Shoot, I'm primary care. My wife's primary care. We're not making. I'm thankful I can pay for my food. And tell, you know, I'm not saying I'm destitute. But there's a lot better ways to get wealthy than to go into medicine. And to see
1: right, right people
2: rec- recognize that. And and you know, what's most gosh so terribly frustrating to see pay get cut. And, and I get it. Our revenues are down 40% and it's a big deal and you have to be viable. But gosh, I mean, it's so disheartening if you're in the ED to have your pay cut. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, critical care. So fortunately, we haven't seen that in our organization, but because these folks are putting their lives on the line and, and they always do. You know, Yeah, it's COVID now, but if it's another infectious disease or probably seeing the rising amount of you know assaults in an ED or in a hospital and things like that. So yeah. Um, I think the majority of people that I know went into this for the right reason and are shining right now and, and don't care about the spotlight, but I'm thankful that they are getting some spotlight on this.
1: Yeah. And last thing I would ask is looking at the CIOs, is there any kind of advice or anything you can offer as far as what you would want them to be aware of from the point of like physicians and usability and the fact that they are, are working so hard right now? Anything that you know, CIOs can do or just keep in mind?
2: think just try to envision that future state because I think you're seeing if you provide a product or a capability a functionality that is needed video visits like wow the grace that's given the excitement and the willingness to partner they're all in and I think it's been good for both sides to say oh wow we really do need these technical folks not that they, you know but you know there's that real I can't do this like I can't call them into the office they're not coming in how can you help me that's where I've seen the the recognition of, wow, I didn't know how much work y'all were doing to get us prepared. I've talked to my colleague at this organization or at this practice and they're stuck with this. So it's both. I think it's a great time on the other side of this to say, can we sit down and talk about what other goals you have as a clinician, as a department, so we can know how to partner with you. We've always said that, but I don't think they've been as, I think they've been a little hesitant in partnership uh, maybe just because they didn't understand. And as a CMIO, that's where I've always said, listen, my role is to be looking on the horizon. You just tell me where your problems are so I can be looking for those technical solutions for you and, and help. So yeah, I think that to, to plan to round back with those clinical leaders and say, okay, now we've got, how else can we partner together and, and make things that much greater for our patients?
1: Yeah, well said. Well, that's probably about it. Really appreciate your time. I, I know I can imagine how things are, so I really appreciate it.